0: Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. And if I had a little bit of a gravelly Thank you in that introduction, kind of like a a rock DJ. It's because I've got a rock star guest on the Intentional Encourager podcast. She she does a lot of things. She wears a lot of hats. And I love it on her LinkedIn profile. She gets people on podcasts. She gets sponsorships. She connects with change makers. She makes your story worth telling. That's what she does for her clients. But she has a podcast called Better Call Daddy. And we are going to find out the genesis of that. We are going to get into a lot of stuff with this rock star connector. You can find her on LinkedIn at Rena, R-E-E-N-A, Friedman, F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N, Watts, W-A-T-T-S. But you can find her right here, right now on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Rena, how are you today?
1: I am amazing. Wow, that was such a good intro. I just love listening to your voice. I could listen to your voice all day.
0: Wow. Most people, no, listen, most people, they take it in small doses. That's why my wife doesn't listen to the Intentional Courage podcast. Because she says, I, I can hear you talk all day, but you do a pod, you, you're doing a podcast yourself. So we're going to talk about that here in just a little bit. We were talking before we got started. Let's start here. You were talking, we we were talking about the, you know, the things that your day-to-day life and things like that around around COVID-19. What was the one thing that has been a an an overcoming challenge around this in the pandemic? And what's been an unexpected benefit for you as we record this in the midst of COVID 19?
1: A big challenge has been finding balance for me because Up until the pandemic, I was working full-time and had a full-time nanny and was having a lot of career momentum. And I had to kind of take a step back from that and, you know, decide what I wanted my business to look like, what I wanted my family situation to look like. And ultimately, you know, I had four kids at home and so really they had to
0: come first. So I got even more of a rock star. Four kids, I got one, and they're he's 20. And at times, I'm like, This is why I have no hair up top here. This is you have four kids, you rock star. You that's amazing. Thank you. Four under 12, (laughs) and you still look like that. I, what is your secret? My goodness.
1: My husband is my secret. There is no way that I could do it without him. And truthfully, he knows I don't like doing dishes. He knows I don't like keeping house. And so he gives me some slack there. And he's like, look, if you know, interviewing guests and putting together content and taking on a couple clients keeps you sane, then focus on that and we'll figure out the rest. You know, he is a huge fan of mine. He even helps me come up with ideas for the show. Like, I interviewed some guy today who did magic mushrooms for a year, and that's something that interests my husband. So I, you know... I got 10 questions for my husband on what to ask this guy. And my husband is like constantly reading books and listening to podcasts and giving me ideas and my dad's giving me ideas and I have my own ideas. And and then just the people that I've met throughout my life and through COVID too, I feel like one unexpected blessing, like you were talking about, if you take notice of the people that you were friends with through this pandemic. That is really interesting to think about. And that has been a blessing. Like it has distanced certain people and it's made other people much closer. And I think that that's really interesting. It's also gotten rid of things that you were currently doing, things that you were doing prior to the pandemic. Did you notice how some of those went away? So I've been really taking stock of like, what is in my life? What is good in my life? What has come into my life? And like you and I were talking about and being still with that and really feeling that and kind of reevaluating, you know, what I I want moving forward.
0: I love what you just said about that because you're, you're so right. Is that things that and my wife and I were talking about this last night is that you know, things that we would have never thought we would be talking about, we're talking about and, and things that we would, would have probably done. We're not doing, you get rid of, I love that the way you phrase that getting rid of some things that were seemingly important that all of a sudden became unimportant and, and things like that. And then moving those priorities up to the surface. When you think about, from a business standpoint, was there a lot of things that you changed about your business now? Because you mentioned, and we were talking a little bit before we we started recording, you mentioned having a full-time nanny and then being, you know, now, you know, when COVID hit, you took on those responsibilities yourself as well, still having a business, still having the podcast, still having those other things. Did you, did you find it overwhelming at times or did you find yourself really rising to the challenge?
1: Oh, I definitely found it overwhelming, but I do think that it's helped me grow and set more boundaries. Um, boundaries are super important. Um, I, I think that I have a bad habit of giving too much to my clients and not enough to me and my family. I I constantly am battling between that and what COVID made me do was say, Hey, I need to reschedule that. Or, you know, one of my kids needs me right now and that's okay. And, you know, I, I feel like even organizations are becoming more okay with that Yeah, or even, You know, my husband started a new job during this pandemic. He was working at a startup that didn't end up getting Series A. And, like, he was at this promising, award-winning startup pre-COVID. And then COVID happened, and it completely changed the outlook of that company. So my husband had to transition into a new role, and they wanted him to come in. And he expressed his fears about coming in. He, you know, I don't know if he would have done that before. And I think too, since he was at a startup and became more of uh, an independent thinker and he was wearing many more hats, he was even more confident enough to say, hey, like I see you as a equal, like you may have the manager role, but he feels even more comfortable, like expressing himself and, contributing more to the conversation instead of just being a worker bee. Yeah. I, th- I feel like COVID has done that for entrepreneurs that has done that for people that work within organizations, like so many conversations needed to be had. And here's another thing that just happened today. There I was invited onto a call in reaction to what happened in Atlanta this week, and I truthfully didn't know what to say other than I stand with you, I support you, and racism sucks. That's basically all I could say. Like, you know, I'm Jewish, I've experienced anti-Semitism, you know what I mean? But I haven't experienced necessarily racism, I don't know. So today I saw this girl who was in a class with me a year ago, and she talked about how her grandfather was targeted by the KKK. She had an an aunt that was a nurse and was literally told, I don't like your face, I'm not going to have you within my organization. And the same person who interviewed her ended up getting cancer and being in her care three years later. And she said, I'm going to show compassion to you. This woman was the, 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 that was the nurse and she reversed the situation. Oh, I just loved this. And so the girl that was talking was like, I don't even feel comfortable having this conversation. And she was like, I've spent years just being silent, but that's not because I haven't experienced anything. So I think people are really speaking up the yeah. things that they've been silent
0: about. Well, and and here's the thing too. And, and I love what you said there because in our world of being podcast hosts, there are times that you, and and I had a guest that this past week that, that wasn't able to come on and, or we had to do some, some flipping of, of days and they go, thank you for being so gracious. And I'm like, I, you know, a month ago we had three winter storms in a week that, that we didn't have internet and I was like, I was having to email people and go, can we reschedule and, and 80% of them did. Now I lost a, a couple guests. You're going to have that. People are just like, well, you know, we'll, we'll just kind of move on. But again, I love what you said there about people understanding the power of flexibility. And being just kind to each other and understanding more. And the second thing I want to pull out of what you just said is, you know, COVID and diseases don't care if you're Asian or black or Hispanic or Jewish or white or whatever you are or whatever you identify, whatever, whatever you're those like disease and viruses don't care. If, if if they invade your body, they invade your body. Like they just don't care. And so I think people are now starting to understand, you know, COVID is not a white thing. It's not a black thing. It's not a Hispanic thing. It's not an Asian thing. It's not a Jewish or a Christian. It's, it's, it's a human thing. You know, it's, it's a human thing. And so I, I, I'm glad for that because it's now made all of us, I think, see a little bit differently where what, what being a human being is all about. Let's step aside here, take a break. When we come back, I want to ask you about the Better Call Daddy podcast. I have been dying. I've got questions floating in my tiny mind here about Better Call Daddy. And so we are talking to the host of the Better Call Daddy podcast, um, content strategist, lean listen to me i can't even speak now you know i'm trying to form the front the right out there and things like that folks i'm not editing this out i am with my friend rena friedman watts here on the intentional Encourage podcast back in a moment Hey, everybody, Brian Sexton here. I want to tell you about our sponsor, SEO National. SEO stands for Search Engine Optimization. Now, what's that, you might say? Well, Search Engine Optimization helps you show up higher on search engines after opening SEO national 14 years ago, let me give you some intentional encouragement and call Damon and his team today at eight, five, five, seven, three, six, six, two, eight, five, or go to www.seonational.com and get a free quote. Rena, I tell you what, when, when I come on your podcast, I promise I will have a better thought process and be able to speak more clearly than how I just fumbled through that. you think all that, you know, fumbling and bumbling, but let's talk about the Better Call Daddy podcast. I got to know the genesis behind this because I've had people ask me about my podcast. I know how I came up with it, but wow, what, what a fantastic name way better than intentional encourager. (laughs) Tell me about how the Better Call Daddy podcast got started. Where in the world did you find the name for it?
1: Well, I always call my daddy. Like every day I've actually already spoken to him today. Um, I call him with relationship advice, life advice, entrepreneur advice. My dad ran a company with his parents for 45 plus years. He's he's just my role model. He's my go-to guy. And I felt like I'm constantly calling him for advice. And so I felt like he had wisdom to share with the world and why not share that with my audience? So that's really like, I wanted to do a show with my dad. He's always wanted to be in showbiz. I worked in showbiz. So it was kind of like, um, It was, it was an idea where I could use my casting chops, use, you know, sharpen my writing skills, sharpen my interviewing skills, put together content, include my dad. And so I, I will say though, you know, I loved the series Better Call Saul. So it kind of came from that, but at the same time, it went back to my roots of Jerry Springer where like Jerry would do like a final thought at the end. So I was like, oh, instead of Jerry, like my dad could give that final wisdom thought, right? So it was like, like a mesh of that.
0: What's the best piece of advice that your dad's ever given you?
1: Ooh, that's a good question. Prop. I mean, my dad does have like some messages that he repeats. So he is really big on the family unit. And once you make a commitment. To keep a commitment so i would say that that is really solid advice even stephen covey who i just recently interviewed said trust stems from keeping vows to yourself
0: that's all i i'm writing this down because i think that is so important rena to understand for people to understand because my dad had a similar saying my dad said if you say it own it and, and that, that always resonated with me because I would never, when I was growing up, I would never get in trouble for fighting as bad as I would lying to my dad. Like if I lied to my dad, my dad would punish me harder for lying to him than, than than I probably could have stolen something from the store and not got in the nearest much trouble as I would have lying to my dad. Like, and I, I, you know, same thing. Yeah. And so I want to go here for just a second. What's been the greatest joy of doing a podcast with your dad? Because I, I can tell when you were talking there just a minute ago, your face lit up. And for those of you watching on YouTube, your face just lit up. Like, like, yeah, when I talk about my dad, you know, my husband and my dad, the two, I have to assume the two greatest men in your life. No question. What's, what's the great... What it has been the greatest joy for you doing a podcast with your dad?
1: The special time. Truthfully, you know, like you said, we don't have forever. And so one thing that really scares me is like I watched my grandfather get dementia and Alzheimer's. And I watched my grandfa- my great-grandfather go through that as well on my dad's side. So it really terrifies me that one day I won't be able to get my dad's wisdom. I mean, I don't know if he'll get that, but you know, our minds are not always going to be as sharp as they are. Right. And so right now my dad is still fresh and he's still snappy and he's still chiming in with his funny one-liners. And I want to record that. I want to be able to give that to my kids, you know, and look, I've got a one, almost two year old now. Like I want him to know my dad, like he is right now. Um, yeah.
0: My son has done that to Rena. My son, my 20 year old has done that to me, but I'll misspeak and my son will come up to me and go, are you having a stroke? (laughs) You know, are you just, you know, are you trying to tell us something that something is amiss with you? And and no, and and listen, I I have gone back and watched, there's a couple of pieces of video of my dad on YouTube that I go back and watch periodically and, and, and again, you know, I lost my dad eight years ago and, and that's, you know, um, that's the thing is that the wisdom of our dads, the wisdom of our dads is, is just really powerful. What's one thing that your dad has said during a podcast that you had that moment, like, oh my gosh, this is, this is brilliant. What do you have one off the top of your head that that was, that was a moment for you and, and I, you could call it a V8 moment. And for those of you listening on the Rena is, is, is pondering this question. So I don't mean to make it long winded, but if you had those V8 moments where your dad said something and you were like, oh my gosh, where has this been all my life?
1: I mean, there's been some funny moments. I have interviewed a wide range of guests from phone sex operators to CEOs to Netflix stars to YouTubers. Um, it was funny. I did ask my dad if he had ever called a a, a 900 number and he was like, oh, your mom would kill me. Um, but there was a woman who was sex trafficked and now she has a nonprofit and Tony Robbins helped her create that. And my dad really appreciated her journey of kind of where she came from to what she's doing now, like her pain is her purpose and really commended her for that. And I really appreciated my dad's response to seeing the beauty in her story and not being judgmental at all.
0: No, that, that is really cool. Um, and, and and for those of you watching on YouTube, I've seen Rena take some notes. I'm taking notes here because it's funny because I would, if my dad, if I had my dad on a podcast and I asked him a couple of questions, I would probably be surprised at his reaction, you know, because I think, again, we don't know how they're all, because our parents, here's what I found out about my, my, my dad. Although my dad was pretty well, like an open book with me, I'm still learning things about his, his upbringing, even after he's been gone. And so that, that, you know, because I don't, I think parents to some degree, there are some things about their lives that you, that you don't know. And then they, you know, in conversation, it comes up like my, like my dad and I were, were riding down the road one day. And we were talking about a friend of ours that that had an unfortunate marital situation, and my dad looks at me, and it was probably a year or two after I get married. He said, "I can help that person." Really? He said, "Yeah, I've been there." And I was a little kid; I was probably ten. I vaguely remember what was going on, but to hear my dad look at me and go, "You know, I can help that person because I've 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 been in, you know, I I had." an unfortunate situation where, where I cheated on your mom. And I was like, Oh my gosh, you know, he's like, it's not something you really want to admit to your adult adult son. But I think our parents can share with us that insight and wisdom. I got one more question to ask you about the podcast and we'll transition into your story. Is there a dream guest or two that you would love to talk to? Because I know I have kind of my bucket list and you and I have, we've been very fortunate that we've been able to interview some Rockstar people your Stephen Covey was my Tom Ziegler, you know, because oh, cool. I was such a Zig Ziggler fan. And so to have Tom on the podcast was, was really a kind of that dream come true moment, but do you have a couple of dream guests in mind that you would go, I would drop everything to interview these people.
1: I mean, I really want to interview Jerry Springer because he started my career. Um, it is in the works. Uh, I did reach out to his publicist and right now he's taping his new court TV show, so we'll see. And I also worked for Judge Alex for about four seasons and I've reached out to him. I would love to talk to him now that his court TV sh- show is over and-, and see if he remembers any of the stories. Like, I was a stringer, so I would go through all the yeah. small claims cases and find the stories and some of my stories, like, went entire shows. So. I would just love to talk to him about some of the stories that I
0: booked. Okay. I got one question before we transition to a break. Okay. Assuming Jerry Springer comes on your podcast, what's the one question you're dying to ask Jerry Springer?
1: I want to know about his personal life more because so much of his life has been around the shows that he's been on. But you know, he is a father. He was a husband. I don't, I don't know what happened there, but he has a special relationship with his daughter who lives in Illinois where I live. And he's a grandfather now. I mean, I would love to know a little bit about what his relationship with his daughter is like.
0: Well, and Springer was the mayor of Cincinnati and I'm wearing, for those of you on the watching on YouTube, I'm wearing a Cincinnati Reds sweatshirt and, and Springer really got his start in TV in that Cincinnati market because he was so beloved. I, I think he was at WLWT, which was the main station in that market. And it's, it's a behemoth station. And of course, crossing over and doing radio for WLW in Cincinnati and, um, and that that town, for you to be a celebrity and not be a Cincinnati Red or a Cincinnati Bengal or, a, or Oscar Robertson, the famous basketball player, grew up in that town, legendary basketball player was from Cincinnati. For you to be a legend in that town, among the pantheon of great people and athletes that have been legends in that town, really speaks to your impact there so i uh, bravo to you for for trying to get springer on that that is i i am i will be i will be intentionally encouraging from behind the scenes on that one that will be awesome for for you to get that done and I have no doubt rena that you will get that done amen no yeah. doubt I have no doubt let's step aside take a quick break when we come back. I want you to hear about Rena's story. That's why I really wanted to have her on the podcast so that you could tell her amazing story. Stay with us. We'll be back in just a moment here on the Intentional Encourage podcast. Hey, everybody. Brian Sexton. I want to tell you about my new book, People Buy From People, 10 Powerful People Lessons from the Ultimate People Person, my dad. My dad was one of the greatest connectors that I ever knew. And he shared with me 10 connecting principles that I have used throughout my 25-year sales and sales management, customer engagement, and leadership career that I'm passing along to you. If you want to be a stronger deeper and more powerful connector. You've got to pick up a copy of People Buy From People. There are concepts in there that you may not realize help make you a power connector. You can go to Amazon and pick it up. Kindle, if you're an e-reader and you like to do it that way, or now available on Audible. And there's one other way you can get a copy of People Buy From People. You can get one from me, and I'll sign it for you. You go to intentionalmediaandpublishing at gmail.com and send me an email And I'll share with you the link on how you can get a signed copy. You can buy a signed copy directly from me. Again, people buy from people. If you want to connect like never before, pick up your copy today of people buy from people. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Rena, let's dive into your story. I want you to take me as far back as you want to go from point A to point B and just tell your story because you've already alluded to it, like you've you've dropped little little Easter eggs through the podcast here. And so the floor is yours. Tell us your incredible story.
1: So I really feel like it began in high school when i auditioned for a youth performing arts school and didn't get in and then my dad went to the head of the music department and was like hey you know what does she have to do to get in because she really wants to go there and i know she can you know and so like he helped me turn a no into a yes and that was so pivotal for me um First of all, I didn't read all the fine print of like having to sing a foreign language and be able to sight read music. And like I just went in there and sang something off the radio. And like I didn't follow all the rules of how to get in. Right.
0: Yeah. I don't know the top, I don't know the performing arts high schools really are down with top 40 music (laughs) for auditions, you know?
1: Yeah, so I ended up taking singing lessons from someone who they recommended, and I learned how to sing an Italian aria and went back in, swallowed my pride, and re-auditioned and then got in. But this was so pivotal because since I didn't get in the first time, I never really felt like I was accepted. And so for four years, I just tried to blend in and I felt like the people around me were so much more talented than me and and that they had gotten in on their first try and I never sang out. I was so insecure. And then finally my senior year, after sticking it out for four years with the same teacher and... Oh my God, it was not easy. I was surrounded by so many talented people people that got into Juilliard, people that became the lead singer of the Pussycat Dolls, people that ended up on Broadway. I mean, really successful people. This guy ran an incredible music department. I ended up auditioning, <clears throat> excuse me, for a couple colleges, and I got an offer for a full scholarship to a small art school. And then I finally felt like I had made it. And so that was like a tremendous feat for me. And it really taught me one, that you can turn a no into a yes. And two, that like, you can do hard things, you know?
0: No, I totally get and, and it. And I'll say this, you know, I understand that really well because I sang in my high school chorus as well. Cool. But my story was a little bit different the second week. I was a freshman in high school. The second week I was harmonizing around the piano and people were looking at me like, why are you singing harmony? And my chorus teacher looked at me and goes, he's singing harmony. I've prayed for someone who can sing harmony. i like, I've done this all my life. I've just sang in church and stuff. What, what did you learn about yourself in that moment? Cause you were talking about being around all these talented people. And when when you're around really talented people, especially people that can sing, you 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 kind of feel like what a, one I, I, maybe not for you, but here's what I've always felt like: what am I doing here, and when are they going to find out I'm not as good as these other people?
1: That whole imposter thing, definitely. Yeah. I definitely yeah, experienced totally. that. But I will say, when you put yourself around people who are better than you, you do get
0: better. Oh, say that again. When you put
1: yourself around people who are better than you and you know they're better than you, it makes you work harder and it makes you better. And I have continued to try to do that in life and in my career. So I think that that is a key to success. So from there, I ended up going to an art school and kind of like partying and I did well academically, but it was honestly, like, that school was easier than the high school that I went to. And so I ended up transferring to a Big Ten University. I went to Purdue, and I ended up getting a job at an NPR station. Um, and so that was kind of, like, again, like, interesting me. Like, it got me interested in um, getting my voice out there again, learning something new, kind of uh, I don't know. Like that was a challenge. It was something that I overcame. I honestly walked in and was kind of like, Hey, I want to work in radio. Somebody was quitting that week or moving on. And what I got the opportunity. About Purdue?
0: What was it? Because I, I got to, I had to jump in there. What was yeah. it about Purdue? Because Purdue has been known is, is really known for their engineering and their technical programs. What was it about Purdue that made you want to, you, I mean. Here's what's here's what I'm thinking as I'm trying to put myself in that that moment. You go from this this art school, so you go to high school or to performing art school, then the first two years of college you go to another performing art school that was not as challenging as the school you came from, and it's almost like a 180. You're like, let's go to Purdue. They're known for engineering. Like, what <laughs> let's was up that, that yeah, game yeah. again.
1: Like, let's yeah. yeah. You know, yeah, it's I mean, so crazy. Yeah. Oh my god. I I was a sports med major because the school that I was at, that was like one of the top programs. I was like, oh, well, I'm into fitness and I want to like meet guys. And so I got into sports med and actually did really get in good shape and enjoyed hanging out with the athletes and whatnot. That actually is how I transferred to Purdue is I met somebody in sports med at Purdue. And I was like, oh, this is how you work with the big leagues. I'm like, you go to a top 10 school versus like the small school that's working with state division yeah. two athletes, yeah. you go to a, a big 10 university and then they're playing in the Rose bowl and you're actually seeing real injuries. And like, so I, I transferred because of sports med. Um, but then I decided like after organic chemistry that that was kind of like the weeder out class. Like I didn't really want to do that. I, I really had the passion for you know, the entertainment industry. And that's why I walked into the radio station was like, Hey, let me try this again. Um, so I worked in radio for two years. I got an internship at a news station in town, which was cool because then I got to do some floor directing and some local commercials and really seeing how the production side of things worked. Um, And then from the radio station, I actually made a couple air check tapes and, like, wanted to work in radio, but I didn't, I think I had, like, one station in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania that was interested in me, uh, but I didn't really want to move there. And so, kind of went into the career services office and, like, I uh, interviewed at, oh, what was it, like, the Stock Exchange in New York had, like, a production assistant role, and then... I interviewed at WGN in Chicago, but I didn't get it. But while I was up there interviewing for WGN, I saw that Jerry Springer was looking for interns. There was a flyer in the same courtyard. So I walked across to NBC Tower, told them I had an interview with the intern coordinator. This is pre-9-11, got through security, got an interview, and started two weeks later.
0: Wow. Wow. Wow, that is so cool. So you intern on the Jerry Springer show, which at that time was taped in Chicago. Yes. Tell me, tell me about a moment that you will never forget as an intern on that <laughs> oh, show. Oh
1: God, so many. But one that was like such a lesson. I mean, I had a beeper, I had a pager where I would take out the guests as an intern. I had petty cash. I could entertain them, you know, take them to Navy pier, take them to a diner, take them around Chicago to entertain them the day before the show. And I'm new to the city. I'm you know, new to learning my way around.
0: A pager was what we used to have before cell phones. So exactly. Yeah.
1: So I had a beeper, but no cell phone. And I'm like entertaining the guests out on a boat in the middle of Lake Michigan. And I get beeped that it's time for me to be back at the studio. I'm like, how in the world am I going to one, contact them and two, get these people off the boat? I'm like, we're just going to be late, you know? And I thought for sure I was going to be fired. I'm like, I've taken the guests. Like, I have no way of communicating with them. I am not going to be back for hours. But I was like, the show's tomorrow. Like, why are they beeping me now? You know what I mean? Yeah. It was my job to entertain them. So, yeah. That was a scary moment. I I did, from that, learn not to go on any more boats. Stick to, like, double-decker buses or taking them out for a meal. Um, But yeah, that was fun.
0: (laughs) So what happened after the Springer show, after you interned there, what, where did, where did your career take you from that point? Obviously you had started to put down roots in the Chicago area. That's probably where you were going to spend your career, but where did, where did you go there? Take me through the next part of, of your journey.
1: Right after Springer, what's funny is. I decided to try a sales role because I was like, if I can talk people into doing crazy things on national television, I should be able to like sell sporting packages, event packages, right? (laughs) So there was like this Marcus Evans, I don't know if you've heard of them, and they were like literally two floors up in NBC. So I was like, oh, I'm familiar with NBC Tower, like I'll just go to the couple floors up, moving on up, right? It was like a chop shop. Like everybody had like fold-out tables and there was a cowbell every time you made a sale and it was not for me. Um, and then I was like, oh my God, there's like not so much TV in Chicago. So I was like, LA, here I come. So moved out to LA, started all the way over, like really did not know anyone. I was dating someone at the time that got, I think like a production manager role on a pilot. And so he made me his production coordinator, which was cool because it was a foot in the door. And then once I worked on that pilot, I ended up becoming an executive assistant to three executive producers who ran a special effects animation company in Burbank. And so I was able to work there for a year, work on some larger productions, see the business side of things, which I really hadn't learned. So the accounts payable, you know, the location scouting, the SAG contracts, the payroll, like all of the business side that I hadn't really learned. I mean, even though I had learned how to put together like an $80,000 budget weekly on Springer, I wasn't so much handling the accounts payable and receivable and and knowing all that went into a film production. So by taking the job as the, you know, executive assistant, I got to work on Team America. I got to work on an interstitial for Disney. I got to, you know, see the making of um, just fabrication and puppets and uh, being on set and, and all of these things and network with a lot of people. So then after that, I ended up becoming a field interviewer on VH1 and getting to travel and then work my way back up to associate producer and then post-production supervisor, LA is a lot of riding on the coattails of giants. It's a lot of networking. It's a lot of making friends with people that you work well with and then going from show to show with them.
0: Oh, wow. I'm writing this down, how to ride on the coattails of giants. And, and, you know, that's the thing is, and, and I told my son this the other day, is that, you know, networking is still the greatest thing that you can do for your career. Yep. Because people that know you and know your work want to work with you. Yep. Or if they don't have anything at their disposal at the moment, they they like they they want to help you further your career along. I want you to take me through the biggest obstacle in your life, career. Why don't you take me to the biggest obstacle that you faced and the biggest lesson that you learned from it?
1: Hmm. The first one that comes to mind was you know, when I became an entrepreneur. <laughs> gosh, you learned some good lessons there. But, you know, one of my clients wanted me to go full time with them. And they went from being a client to me reporting to them, which completely changed the dynamic. And I'm actually in that situation again, (laughs) because you put so much into your clients and you care so much about them. And when they do well, you do well, right? But, uh, i don't want to be an employee again like i like the variety of being able to work on multiple projects and when one project you need a little bit of a break from you have something else to focus on I don't know if you can understand that
0: <laughs> totally totally yeah well <laughs> a- a- again my wife is like are you sure you don't have a podcast to record today like talk about somebody you know like needing a break you know something like that but but no it it is. Listen, there are loads of people that I've had on this podcast that are my friends. I wouldn't want to work for them. Right. Oh, yeah. You
1: don't know someone until you've done business with them.
0: Yes. That's exactly right. Was that one of the biggest obstacles that you had to overcome? Was kind of definitely because you're, (laughs) you're, you're, you and I are a lot of that. That's why we've been connected for a good while is we have a lot of, a lot of strengths in common, you know, because we're connectors by nature. And, and that's 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 who we are and that's what we want to be as a connector but yeah I mean I love what you said there when, when you think about doing business with someone you were connected to, what's one thing that that you were always what's one guard that you always put up in doing that because I think somebody's listening and they go yeah you know I've got somebody that I've been working with and we've become friends but you know there's some things that I need to address. Where I need to get straightened and things like that. I got a sense that you've got kind of a couple of rules or a hard and fast rule about a situation like that. Can you? I'm share? still
1: learning. I am still learning. It's interesting because I, I listened to this podcast the other day and I forget how you pronounce her last name, but Belinda Armide, do you know her on LinkedIn? She said she won't work with people that haven't been in business at least 10 years. And I'm not there yet, but I will say you've got to do some some research on your client before you say yes to them.
0: Ooh. Because you, you
1: you you got to see how they behave online and if their clients are happy with their work. Because if you're putting your name on someone, whether you mean to or not, you are going to be associated with them.
0: Oh, that is so good. That is so good because, again, I, I see this, I see this, Rena, I see this rush for people to go, well, I, I want to do business with that person because I'm growing my business. And all they see, you know, it's like when, and I'm sure you probably kind of went through this, moving to L.A., and the first time you're out and about, you see a big celebrity, you go, oh, my gosh, there's, there's so-and-so. I remember when my family and I were in Las Vegas and we saw iced tea. My wife just kind of flipped out, you know, she saw, she, cause she watched, um, uh, the, the SVU show, uh, I, I'm blanking at the moment and, and he was jogging through the miracle mile and she goes, see if I'll go take a picture. I'm like, all right, you sent, you want to send me to go do the, do your work for you. But, but I, I can imagine a lot of times when people see clients, they kind of see stars in their eyes, this revenue, like, oh, this is going to help my business, but I don't think a lot of people do what you suggested doing about researching your client. How has that helped you become a better entrepreneur?
1: It's, it's helped me know when it's time to move on (laughs) from a client. Like they can hire you for one thing, but maybe you can't do everything that they need you to do. So here's an example. I had one client who hired me to help her with her LinkedIn profile. Then she asked me to do a blog post for her. Then it was, can you take over my LinkedIn for me? Then it was, can you help me design a website? I I have learned to do what I'm good at and then when things that I've done for them and they're happy with have gone well, I have learned when to bow out gracefully.
0: <laughs> I love that. That is so good. <laughs> but well here's the thing you you have to you really have to be disciplined in that respect because a lot of people will go, well, I don't know how to do it. I guess I'll figure it out. And some people are really good at that. I kind of get scared because again, the fear of disappointment for me is just like, I don't want that person to go, I trusted you and you let me down, you know, and, and, and and things like that. And and you got to know what you're good at and what you can
1: deliver and when it's time to be done.
0: Oh, I love that. That is so good. That is so good. (laughs) I want to go here for, for, for my last question. And I, I so love the things that you've taught. This has been such a fun conversation, but take me through the biggest piece, your biggest piece of intentional encouragement. There's somebody out there that, that, that needs some encouragement. I feel like you've got a really good piece of intentional, encouraging encouragement. Would you share that with our audience?
1: Oh man. Does anybody say themselves? (laughs)
0: You would be the first after over, after about 120 episodes. Yeah. And that's fine. I mean, you know, if, if you're encouraged yourself, that's awesome. That's, that's, you know,
1: I have to say even part of why I chose to do my podcast is really figuring out myself and encouraging myself to get better at things.
0: Oh, that's good.
1: Yeah. Like I wanted to become a better interviewer. I wanted to become a better researcher. I wanted to become more creative in the posts that I was doing. And so the more I do this podcast and the more I connect with different individuals through doing it and through their own experiences, I feel like I'm encouraging myself daily to keep going.
0: That is so good because again, I don't think people understand that you have to encourage yourself before you can encourage anybody else. Yes. And so that is so good. I have never had anybody say that in an episode, 120 plus episodes we've recorded. That is so good. I knew it would be good. This was just, this was just great. I am so glad. Rena, tell folks how they can connect with you. Tell them where they can find the Better Call Daddy podcast. Um, just, I'm going to hand it over to you. I I should just give you the microphone and just let you go for however long you want to go.
1: Oh my gosh. Bettercalldaddy.com. Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn and on Instagram. On Twitter, I have Rena Rena. And yeah, that's how you can find me.
0: Bettercalldaddy.com. B e t t e r. C-A-L-L-D-A-D-D-Y better and Rena Rena on Twitter that I love that. And by the way, I will, I, I, I don't know why I'm not following you on Twitter. So that we'll get that corrected very, very soon. Rena Friedman Watts. This has been incredibly good and I am so glad we made it happen. After all this time, we made it happen. And I am grateful that you joined me today on the Intentional Encourager podcast.
1: Thank you so much. I loved connecting with you and now on to mine.
0: Yes. Yes. We're, we're doing a double header here. So today as we record, but again, please, I can't encourage you enough. Go find the Better Call Daddy podcast. And again, this has been an honor having Rena on. Thank you guys so much for joining me on the Intentional Encourager podcast.